You're listening to The Loyalty Minute, the show that helps you build better customer loyalty and more valuable user engagement with your host, Rob Gallo. Welcome, loyal listeners, to another episode of The Loyalty Minute. I'm your host, Rob Gallo, and today I'm very eager and excited to chat with Megan Lynch. Megan is the CEO of Six Point Creative, a brand strategy agency that helps family businesses double their business without losing their existing customers or value. As part of her mission to help family businesses break through growth plateaus, Megan has served as an expert advisor to a wide range of food and beverage clients from fast casual restaurants to artisan cheese manufacturers. Megan was named as an Enterprising Woman of the Year in 2019, and she enjoys testing her limits as an endurance runner. Welcome to the show, Megan. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Rob. All right. So uh, I know we talked at the beginning before we even hit the record button, endurance running, before we get into the branding. Yeah. Uh, what's the longest you've ever run? Uh, 50 miles. 50 miles. Yeah. You know, they have automobiles that could do that in probably an hour, right? So it's got it's going to take a while to go yeah. 50 miles. Yes. As I was driving to the race, I was watching the exit signs go by and it was like 25 miles to the next exit. I was like, oh no, that's really far. And I'm like, oh no, I've got to go even further than that tomorrow. <laughs> so uh, yes, it's stupid. All right. So for those who don't know who you are, Megan, uh, maybe you can give a bit of background about yourself and Six Point Creative as well. Sure. Um, so yeah, I started the company with no thought to actually becoming an entrepreneur and a business owner. It was kind of one of those opportunities that dropped in my lap. Two folks I worked with decided to start their own agency. And I said, sure, yeah, I'll go with you. And they said, be a partner. I said, sure. I was 27. I didn't know any better. Um, had no idea how difficult, you know, I looked around at all the bozos running companies and said, I'm smarter than that, right? 27, you're smarter than everyone. And um and then once I got into it, I realized how much work it is, right, to run a business and run a business well. And um, so the first thing I started to do was really, like, get myself educated. I didn't have an MBA. I didn't have a business background. I was an English major. Um, and so um, I started joining a lot of, like, CEO-type roundtable groups and found that it was, like, really my style of learning, this kind of, like, peer, collaborative, very, like, generous style. And also very, um, uh, you have to be pretty um, vulnerable in those sessions. And I really appreciated that because I'd always gone to, let's say, like chamber networking events or industry networking events where everybody's kind of posturing. And so it, th I would leave those feeling like, oh my gosh, everybody's so great at what they do and I'm so terrible at it, right? And um, so anyway, so I, I joined a family business center and started um just being around businesses that were family owned, closely held and, and companies just kind of really trying to like figure it out as they go. They really loved what they did on the day to day, but they weren't necessarily like trained or specialized, you know, as professional CEOs or anything. So we're all just kind of figuring it out together. And while I was doing that, I kind of just like looked around and I was like, wow, like I love these companies. Like these are my people. And so I ended up deciding to really specialize um, what up in, until that point had been kind of a generic regional full service marketing agency um, into specializing what we do for family businesses and really taking into account the um, basically all of those like vulnerabilities, those fears, that emotional aspect of 
of running a company. And because I was seeing how it was really holding people back from making some courageous moves with their brand and, um, and figuring out how we could kind of customize what we do to really help these companies thrive. And, um, you know, and again, like, you know, kind of bringing it back to loyalty, one of the reasons why I love family businesses is that they're almost always all about relationships, right? They're yep. super loyal to their customers and vendors. They expect that in return. And that's something that I value. And so again, helping them not just see that as one-on-one relationships, but how could we translate loyalty into a more scalable thing, a brand thing, a company-wide thing, not just only about personal one, one-on-one relationships. Yeah. So that leads into the first question that I generally ask most guests is, what does loyalty mean to you, Megan? Like as a consumer, how do you think about loyalty? Yeah. I mean, for me, it means um, both like um, setting, setting expectations and meeting those expectations consistently kind of on both sides of a relationship. And, and also I think being able to find those intersections of values between you know companies and individuals between brands and marketplaces where where the values really intersect that also allows you to kind of let them be as authentic and real and vulnerable as they can be because there's something kind of core holding you together that where where those values align, that to me is kind of where that brand loyalty is is created. So, so what you what you create and what you value is exactly what I, as a consumer, value. Can you think of any brands specifically that you are are loyal to, and maybe the reason why, like in the form of a story? You know, I had a guest on that was flying from Australia to London, and he had a stopover in Southeast Asia. He was on British Airways. He gets there and they tell him, oh, you're going to need a, a visa. And he says, what do you mean? I need a visa. Nobody ever told me. So Virgin Airways in the next kiosk overhears what's happening and says, come over here. We'll help you get sorted out. And they got him on the next flight. And he was been, he's been a, a Virgin customer ever since. So. Yeah, that's yeah. I don't I don't have that story. That's a really good one. Um, <laughs> I think I think for me, mine might be even kind of like less exciting and interesting. You know, I think like I, I'm an ultra runner, like I value consistency. I value the long game. And so while some of those kind of like splashy stories, I think kind of get your attention and get you maybe to try something else. I think for me, the companies who are consistently there, consistently live up to their promises. And I think for, for me, I think of Costco um, because like I I'm come from like a loyal Costco family and a Costco area and, um, and, you know, my, my dad wears Kirkland jeans, like Kirkland signature <laughs> jeans. And, um, and, you know, we, there you go. There you go. I was holding up a Kirkland signature water bottle. Love exactly. it. Um, we were just out in Seattle to, to visit family. And, and we were talking about like, maybe we should go visit Kirkland. Like that's, you know, the home of Costco. Um, but for me really what, what Costco does and has done over the years, like, I, and I think like their Kirkland brand is such a great example of it. What they do so well that I truly value is curation because I get overwhelmed by choice. Like I'm a CEO, I'm making decisions every day. I, I hate making decisions. I hate picking where I need to eat. I just like having like few choices, a go-to something that I just don't even have to think of 
about. And I feel like that's kind of what the Kirkland Signature brand has become for me. I It's something that their quality is always so good. Like, I don't know yeah. how how they do their sourcing, but it is it is consistently as good or better than the name brands. And I know that they will stand behind it. And I know that every time I walk in and choose something, you know, if I have to choose between like the name brand and the Kirkland brand, like I will go with the Kirk, the kind of like house house brand. And, um, and then I think, so they have that kind of like fundamental thing that I value, that kind of long-term consistency. It never, never fails, never wavers. If they mess up in some way, they'll stand behind it. And then they also kind of add on something else that I value, which is that they're very fair employers. They're fair to their employees and they have that kind of um, loyalty aspect to them in terms of they pay well, they have good benefits, they take care of their own. And for me, that becomes yet another kind of intangible reason like not only do they just have good products but um but also the fact that they pay well and that they have a good business model for me again as a business owner and employer is something that I care about so you know and now some folks in in my extended family work for Costco and they love it there and um so for me that kind of like cements how I feel about them and I often kind of point to them as an example of a brand that that gets it, they get their place in the market and they get their customer and they just continue to kind of lean into that value as opposed to kind of like bouncing around and try to be all things to all people. Yeah. Well, I completely agree. You know, I never really think about Costco as a brand. When I think of brands, I'm thinking American Airlines, Starbucks, big brands, business uh, consumer type of brands. But you're spot on. I mean, a good friend of mine works for Costco. I have not only do we get the water, but we have people that come over and my wife will make something and, and she'll be like, did you make these? And she goes, no, the Costco. And it's the Kirkland brand. You know, and one of my favorite things, which is like the crack to me, is the chocolate covered almonds. From yes. Oh, yes. Those things are deadly, but I love yeah. them. I know. And they're so good. Like you don't, and again, like I, it also makes me like, like happy to try new things from them because I know, like I've never been disappointed, right? Like you're never like, oh, like yeah. just aren't that great. Although caveat, I will tell them to upgrade their granola bars. Granola those, bar. those I still might, might prefer another brand, yeah. but you know, I one out the, of. The upgrade. pricing is always spot on too. Even gas. Yeah. You know, they have gas at yeah. the one by us here, which is great. I mean, it's like 50 cents cheaper for super, yep. which is a lot. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, um, yeah, I feel, I feel like they, they really get it. And, um, and they're, they're so consistent that for me, that, that becomes the critical piece is like, you know, I feel like some companies will do like flashy things to attract customers. And I feel like that's almost like the easy thing. The difficulty is that like long-term day in and day out consistency and focus. And, um, and for me, that's just like, that's the, the sweet spot. Yeah. All right. So let's switch over to the business aspect of it. What do you think from a business owner's perspective, like yourself, who are working with, you know, uh, small to medium businesses that are on the local level about, you know, how do you, how do you help them create and maintain a loyal customer base? I think, again, I mean, clarity and consistency is how brands are created, right? It's not, it's not rocket science. It really is being crystal clear about what you do, who you are, who you serve, and being hyper consistent in how you talk about that, how you deliver that. Um, so I think that that's kind of 
step number one. And I think it's one of the biggest things that people underestimate uh, both how difficult that is, especially for, you know, the, the businesses that we work with are often, you know, second, third, fourth generation family businesses. They've been around for a long time. They may be local, regional, they may have national presence, but for, for the most part, they, they've been around a long time and, and staying consistent, staying clear, uh, that is a tall order for what are usually, you know, again, smaller, not huge enterprise businesses with a lot of infrastructure, but instead kind of small, more family-run businesses. And then also from generation to generation, from, you know, leader to leader, um, a lot of that stuff just kind of gets in people's heads and they forget to document it, articulate it, cascade it so that it really does stay consistent. It might be clear in their own minds, but it's not necessarily clear to the customers or to their employees. And so um, to me, that becomes a big barrier to customer and brand loyalty and generating that and, and sustaining it for the long term. So that's that's a great point. Uh, and I, you know, when you when you think about uh, I watch a show called um, well, the Marcus Lemonis show called uh, The Profit on CNBC. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he talks about the process. And a lot of people do miss out on the process. And like getting back to Costco, you know, them treating their employees a certain way, or I think of Apple, you know, when your culture inside your organization, how big or small it is, doesn't really matter. But if it's top down and it, people understand what their roles are and it's, documented in a such a way that it's, again, beyond your head. Because I know from past experience running a family business that had grown to 40 employees and had an HR and the whole thing, there's a lot a lot of moving parts. So what sort of um, things do you do from an internal standpoint, working with a potential client to have them put together a standard operating procedure that forms to the, you know, the what they're looking to uh, achieve? Yeah. Um, so for us, I mean, it, it really is kind of like the whole reason for being for six point in a lot of ways that, you know, we're all about kind of solving the right problems in the right order and kind of pro making it into a repeatable program and process. And so uh, we developed a, a program called Solve for Why. And basically within that system, we basically take companies through all of the kind of best practices of leading change and kind of documenting all of those things in order, um, starting right with clarifying their biggest opportunities for growth. I mean, one of the issues when you're serving a lot of um, customers and you're very loyalty and customer focused is that you can start trying to like get... Um, just go after anything that anybody wants you to do or be, you're mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, we can do that. We can figure it out. And um, so so often for, for our clients, it's not so much that they don't have enough opportunity that their business you know, is stuck because they don't see any opportunity for growth. Instead, it's, it's stuck because they see too much opportunity for growth. They see too many different ways to serve customers. And so they're not doing any of them very well, or they're just kind of like stuck in a holding pattern, trying to decide which one is the best one for us to go after. Mm -hmm. And so by starting with solving that problem first, and then from there, taking them into, you know, other phases of it where they're gathering, you know, data and actually going out and talking to their customers, which not enough companies actually do is, you know, and I'm not talking about just a survey, but I'm talking about interviews, get on the phone with them and just, you know, talk with them about 
why why they are loyal to you, what you do mean to them, where you're falling short, what they see you as as being. Um, and actually start to look for patterns in that, that starts to move into a strategy, which starts to move into a plan. And so I think when you solve those right problems in the right order, it takes you out of this feeling of being like stuck and overwhelmed and starts to just move you forward systematically in a way that keeps your DNA, keeps your values, keeps that, that those relationships front and center. It doesn't, you know, I think again, a lot of companies are very uh, worried about loss. You know, if we change too much, if we get too big or too corporate, we're going to lose the people who got us here. Um, but I think as long as you center them in the work, then that won't happen. You know, it just becomes a communication challenge, you know, a change management challenge, mm -hmm. but it's nothing that, that we can't kind of guide them through. So, um, so I think that, that system piece of it is is a huge piece because I think people often want to skip steps and jump right to the big idea, you know, the cool app or the, um, you know, whatever it is that they've come up with that they think is going to be the key when really, you know, unfortunately, it usually starts with those kind of mundane things like focus and yeah, it's batting the market and hitting, hitting exactly, singles yeah. and singles and singles and singles. Eventually, you get doubles and triples, and then hit it over the fence. Exactly. I totally get it. You're 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 spot on, Megan. So, and actually, it works in every vertical. So it's not specific to any industry. But what sort of industries do you mainly work with? Is it you know? I know in the family side, is it B two C? What sort of you know? What sort of businesses are they? Yeah, so we do a lot with um, with B two C, with a lot of food and beverage companies, both on like the multi unit restaurant um, side, you know, like fast casual restaurant chains, and um, and B two C like food products. Um, but even often those have some B2B aspect to them, right? Like they'll sometimes sell through food, food service, um, sell through distribution. So, um, so there's always kind of a bit of a mix. Um, and then we also tend to work in a lot in the like uh, more industrial hardware manufacturing construction areas. So um, two pretty different verticals, but, um, but they both have a lot of the same um, issues and and they both tend to be areas that that have a lot of family businesses you know a lot of you know folks are passing recipes on or you know are involved in agriculture or pieces of of the the family tend to kind of pass on to, from generation to generation and i feel like the same thing is more in like the trades and the manufacturing tend to be you know more of a concentration of family businesses so those are ones where we tend to to work a lot yeah, and if you think about business 101, like you said, sometimes family businesses, in particular, one that might be passed down, and the person who's taking it on now is not an entrepreneur, doesn't think, you know, outside the box as an entrepreneur. So their mom or dad running the business, but didn't realize what it took in the back end, you know what I mean? And a lot of people, there was a great book called The E-Myth. Um, the E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber, one of my favorite books of all time. And he talks about an entrepreneurial seizure. So someone that's working for somebody else, he's a plumber, right? He's working for this other guy and he sees the bill that he's billing another customer for $200. And he's thinking to myself, hey, well, I don't need this guy. I could do this on my own. What do I need you know, to work for Joe Blow's plumber for? I could do it on my own. Doesn't realize what it takes in terms of marketing and administration and, and all the things that build the business so, you know, he talks about working on the business rather than in the business. Yeah. So there's a lot of cool 
it's a, it's a great book and I highly recommend it. The other book that I recommend all the time is called Made to Stick. When you mm -hmm. talk about yeah. getting an idea across, even internally, you know, people mm -hmm. think that all these great business books that are talking about advertising and marketing are great for the actual advertisement, but internally it helps you get your point across from one siloed department to another siloed department in a big organization. You know, yeah. so that that that's another one by uh, Dan and Chip Heath, the brothers that uh, that wrote the book, Made to Stick. Yeah, anyway, yeah, those um, are great ones. Yeah, so in an ideal world, Megan, let me ask you, what does customer loyalty look like in the future and how do you get your potential clients and existing clients to adopt that sort of change that's going to be inevitable? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is getting them to understand that relationship, the fundamentals of relationship building and of loyalty are are fundamentally the same right the principles don't change but the method in which we're going to do it and the channels that we're going to communicate with and reach people do need to be different and so i think that sometimes people get caught up in like oh you know, it's too digital. We don't know how to do that. But what I, what, what we really emphasize is that we really try to focus on what are the things that you do well? Like, where do you already drive loyalty? Where do you already stand out? And, and as opposed to come up with a bunch of new ideas, instead, it's really kind of going back to basics and figuring out how to apply those same things with digital tools. Um, so again, like, you know, um, we work with a fast casual restaurant that specializes in like hot panini sandwiches. And when they first started out again, family business, you know, really like grown from the ground up, they started out their whole loyalty program was punch cards, mm -hmm. like physical paper punch cards. <laughs> and, um, and it was very satisfying, right? Like you, you give the clerk your punch card and it's very like tangible. So you like see the punches and they, and so, you know, whatever you buy 10 sandwiches, you get one free type of thing. And, um, but what they quickly learned was like, they were missing out on all the benefits of a digital loyalty program because they had no idea who was getting those punch cards. They had no idea who their best customers were. They couldn't reward them in any other way. Um, they couldn't really, they track the effectiveness of it. And then they could also have theft, right? Cause it's like, all you really need is a puncher and a card and all of a sudden yeah. you've got free sandwiches. Um, so there's a lot of downsides to that system, but um, what they started to do is like really fear moving to a digital system because they're like, our customers love the punch cards. They love it. They, you know, they're very attached to it. Um, and what they didn't really realize was that, you know, the customers loved the quality of the sandwiches. That's why they're coming back. They loved the friendly service of their team. They, they train very well. They, they, they pay well and they hire great people who are very friendly and consistently friendly, no matter what store you go into, you just don't get bad service there. And so as opposed they, they got very fixated on if we move to this, people are going to leave us because they want the physical punch card. And, and instead we had to kind of bring them back to let's talk to the customers, let's see what they value and really understand where their loyalty lies. And obviously in the end, like their loyalty is not to a piece of paper, um, but to the brand behind it and the service they get and the quality of the food. And so again, how do we translate that to a digital environment and make sure that it that there's still some kind of, you know, tangible aspect? 
aspect to it that they, you know, people still feel like they're getting the same rewards or better, uh, that it still feels personalized to them. You know, what, what could we do to make that happen? So, um, so when we help them make that transition to the app, we really tried to emphasize all of those things um, that are just core to who they are in the world out of that, in the communication of that. And it worked great. Like people love the app and obviously it's way more convenient from a customer standpoint. Cause you, you always have your phone with you. You yeah. don't always have a punch card. Um, so they got no customer a lot, you know, maybe like there's always the couple of people who are going to complain no matter what, but for the most part, they got, you know, zero customer loss from it and and they've only like grown since it's really allowed them to enter new markets with a lot more data and they've really seen the benefits but um so yeah yeah that, that's great stuff i mean you know loyalty is to me at least in the future it's still going to always go back to the basics people are going to have an emotional attachment to a brand because how that brand treats them and makes them feel there's no question about it, but how they do it and how they go about it now, like you said, on a digital standpoint, I think it's just way better that uh, it's it's more convenient and it's there's it just opens the door for more opportunity from both the consumer st standpoint as well as the merchant standpoint in terms of communication and creating a better brand experience. Megan, we could talk about this all day long, but we find that it's usually about a 25 to 30 minute uh, attention span. Our listeners are eating and uh, they're on their lunch break when they're listening or they're driving in their cars. Hopefully they're not taking too long of a, a commute. So I wanted to thank you for your time, but I want to find out first how, what would be the best way for our listeners to get a hold of you directly? Uh, sure. So I'm very active on LinkedIn. If people want to connect with me there, uh, we'll also set up a landing page for your listeners on our website. So sixpointcreative.com. That's S-I-X-P-O-I-N-T creative.com. And it will just be backslash loyalty minute. And cool. so we'll put um, some information on how to contact me and also some, uh, some tools and downloads. So people, if they're interested in kind of how to go back to basics, for their brand and some tools to help them think about that. Uh, there'll be some freebies on there for them. Excellent. I'll put it in the show notes as well, because it'll be on all the podcast services like uh, Apple and Spotify and all that stuff. So again, I want to thank you for taking your time uh, and sharing your insights. I want to thank our listeners for sharing their valuable time with us. If you feel you see value from the show, we would love a five-star review on your favorite podcast streaming service. It helps us grow. If you know someone else who might enjoy listening to the show and think they'll get some value from it, please do share. To reference this and other Loyalty Minute episodes, please visit theloyaltyminute.com. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for your next edition of the Loyalty Minute.